Wrigley Spearmint Gum presents The Howard Miller Show. And now with music on records, here is Howard Miller. Thank you very much, Ed Joyce, and good morning, everyone. This is Howard Miller from a vastly cooled-off Chicago. Finally, good old Lake Michigan breezes start cooling our town, and I hope you're just as pleasantly satisfied as we are. I know that you are if you can reach for a package of that ever-loving, that wonderful-tasting Wrigley Spearman chewing gum. Now, ordinarily, each morning at this hour, we start by playing some music for you, because actually, of course, this is a disc jockey program. But today we feel that the keen, sure excitement of our guest star is of such tremendous national importance that we're going to forego the pleasure of playing some music because we've just been advised that the United Airlines plane, which bears the Jack Webb party in his coast-to-coast tour, has just set the wheels down on the runway at uh, the municipal airport in St. Louis, Missouri. It's been taxied up now to the American Airlines depot or concourse. The KMOX engineers, our CBS engineers in St. Louis, have quickly rushed all of our equipment aboard the Jack Webb Special. And waiting there to talk to you now is this great star of radio and television and now currently of motion pictures, a great guy, Mr. Jack Webb. Come on in and say hello, Jack. Good morning to you, Howard, and everybody up there in wonderful Chicago. I miss you already, and I've only been gone an hour and a half. Well, you know, you're talking to the whole nation now, Jack, because your voice is being heard in 168 cities from coast to coast, and I know that they all love you just as much as we do. Oh, thank you. Now, Jack, you um, are on a coast-to-coast tour in promotion of uh, your current motion picture release, uh, Pete Kelly's Blues. Yes, that's right, Howard, and we're going to hit some 30 cities in 37 days. This is city number 10. Oh, so you still have about two-thirds of the trip to go. Indeed we do. Now, in the course of uh, these travels, have you figured out how many miles you will have gone, Jack? I imagine about 20,000 miles. And that's from coast to coast? That's it. Uh, Jack, what has been the reception of the picture so far? I know, of course, the publicity has been tremendous, but I know that you're an honest enough man to tell me exactly what box office is. Well, it looks good, Howard. Of course, uh, I feel a little like the Brooklyn Dodgers. You know, we're not sure until <laughs> the final, finally they give us the okay sign, but... Uh, it looks good. It looks like the, the people will accept the character that I play as, as they have accepted uh, the Joe Friday uh, character on Dragnet, which is most pleasing to me because it doesn't mean that I'm going to drop Dragnet. It just means that it'll, I'll have at least one outside picture a year that I can do, kind of like a busman's holiday. Yes. Here. Now, before we talk about the um, career and about the motion picture, Jack, I wonder if you'd be good enough to tell me a little bit about the trip from the standpoint of who was in your party. I know that very charming lady, your wife, Dorothy yes. Webb is with you. That's and, right. Uh, tell me a little bit about the plane of the people that are in your party, will you? Let me take just one moment to tell you. We just saw a new experimental jet fighter leave the ground, and all the pilots and everybody aboard this United plane are looking out the window watching it. It was quite a sight. It's a very good-sized new fighter. Uh-huh. About this plane that we're on, it's especially fitted for this type of trip. In other words, it has a little office. It has, among other things, uh, radar, which is this new... Uh, all-weather eye that can see 150 miles ahead of the airplane, which really is going to mean so much, Howard, when it's installed in commercial aircraft, and it's rapidly being uh, installed at this very moment by the United people. Yes. It's going to make an awful lot of difference in those mainliners when you get aboard and you can fly around the weather instead of having to go through it. We're coming along real fast in air travel, aren't we? Oh, I tell you, it's just... Jack, you have uh, sleeping accommodations on the plane. We do. We can sleep uh, two aboard, and we have... A rather wonderful custom seating arrangement with uh, swivel chairs because this airplane uh, is only built to carry about 18 people. Yes. So uh, it makes a great deal of difference uh, in the in the seating arrangement. How about the facilities for cooking? Can Dorothy whip up a little dessert for you and pamper they, her boy? 
They still haven't got that, but one thing they do have uh, are two wonderful stewardesses, uh, Mary O'Connor, who you know is the flyingest woman of all. She's had many, many thousands of hours and is the has the most longevity of any stewardess in United. She's been with them, and I suppose that takes in the other airlines, too. Yes. She really is a, well, a now, fine woman. what portion of the plane of the fuselage are you in now, Jack? I'm right over these two enormous engines, uh, just about what, what is known as the center of gravity or the CG on the airplane, just about smack in the center. Just about amidships. A little ahead of the wing, but practically... In the center of the ship. Yes. All right, now let's uh, confine our remarks, at least for a couple of minutes, to this motion picture. You know, when the picture was first in uh, the process of being made, Jack, I heard a lot of comment from people saying, well, we think of Jack Webb as a detective. We don't think of him as a jazz specialist or a music specialist. And I've gone about almost as a crusader on your behalf for no reason other than I know that it's a mistaken opinion that actually you are much more of the music critic and the jazz connoisseur and entrepreneur than you are a detective in real life. <laughs> so there should be more believability in this role, don't you agree? Well, perhaps so, except that it's uh, such a departure for me, you know, having been associated with uh, the Dragnet uh, show for some six and a half years now on radio, and we're going into our fourth year on television, and it's asking an awful lot of the public uh, when you become so associated with a, with a given character to accept you in something else. Yes, of course. And it was a real experiment perilous for us, Howard, and uh, it was with a great deal of trepidation that we went out on this tour. Uh-huh. But I wanted to see personally uh, how the audiences, and especially the youngsters, reacted to it, and it, it's been favorable. I'm very happy to report. Yes. Now, uh, ordinarily... Uh... Your movie, or your Dragnet production, lasts how long to make one show? Well, when we first started, it used to take us four days and sometimes five days. And we cut it down to three, and now we've got it to where we can turn one out in about 16 to 18 hours. In other words, we work an eight-hour day, and a lot of them we make in two days, and some go a little bit longer. Yes, and of course, that uh, represents a great amount of preparation prior to the time that the shooting schedule starts. Oh, yes, Howard, and an awful lot of work yes. uh, after the production. Now, how about keep, uh, Pete Kelly's Blues? How long did it take you to whip that into a shape for exhibitor's release? Well, actually, from the time we started thinking about it, it was about nine months, pretty close to a year, when you figure that we had done a great deal of planning in the early stages. But... Uh, the actual shooting of, of the film took about five weeks, oh. and not counting a week of what we call pre-production before we opened formal production in uh, Lafitte, Louisiana, when yes. we did our prologue. So you actually, know, for all intents and purposes, call it six weeks. Yes, there are so many things that I admire about your artistry, but I think that if I had to pinpoint the one, it's the fact that you're such a tremendous perfectionist, where ordinarily Hollywood and movie producers would uh, fake and simulate scenes. You feel that the necessity of being true to your word or the code of the ethics... Uh, requires that you probably spend more money than most people in making a picture. And I think that prologue that you do is a typical example. Will you tell me what that consisted of? Well, it just consisted of uh, some very, very wonderful singers from a church down there, the Israelite Spiritualist Church. These uh, people had never appeared in a motion picture, had never done anything professionally. They're about 40 strong. They sing, and we got together a little group uh, headed by a man down there by the name of Freddie Coleman, a little Dixieland group, and we staged an old-time funeral or burial for a jazz musician. Yes. And it might be interesting, I think the folks would like to know the cost, because we had to take a company down there and color film and everything else. It ran about pretty close to $100,000. In other words, you shot it right there in Louisiana, which was supposed to be the scene of the thing, and that's why you did it there. That is right. Now, why do you feel that that is important? Is it important from the standpoint of the mass level, or is it important from your sense of challenge and accomplishment? I think it's important as 
part of the entertainment of the film uh, or the entertainment quantity uh, in the film because uh, it's necessary that that you, if you're going to do a picture that has anything to do with jazz, that you have a little touch of, of New Orleans, where it all began. Yes. And we just hope we did justice to those beautiful oak trees with the Spanish moss and that wonderful Mississippi River and some of the spirituals and music that were played in that scene. Well, I'm sure you, you d certainly did. Jack, I'm going to ask a special favor. I didn't tell you that we were going to do this when I saw you in Chicago last weekend, but I know that... Um, our gals all over the country, the housewives who help us by, of course, their purchases of Wrigley Sperm and Chewing Gum and who listen to our show every day, probably would like to meet the young lady who is married to the famous performer, Mr. Jack Webb. I wonder if after we play the phonograph record, Dorothy could put the earphones on and we could um, ask her a couple of questions like, how does it feel to cook for a detective? Can we do that? I'm going to have a stick of spearmint and give her the earphones. All right, wonderful. And then we're going to play the Ray Heindorf version of your theme music, from uh, your great motion picture, which is now being shown coast to coast. And I want to add my personal recommendation on the fact that you see it. It's a great show. We saw it over the weekend. I think you'll find nothing more exciting in movie fair any place in the country. So here's the Ray Heindorf arrangement of the Jack Webb theme music from Pete Kelly's Blues, the title tune. <laughs> That's Ray Heindorf and his wonderful Columbia album, 
which, of course, is based on all the music from the Jack Webb picture, Pete Kelly Blues. You know, one of the things, gals, that I wish you'd do, and you gentlemen who might be driving in the automobiles or at home right now, perhaps on your vacation, is to develop that wonderful habit, a delightfully refreshing habit, of being able to reach into the glove compartment of your car, into the kitchen table drawer, wherever it is that you reach for the products that you like the best, and try... Wrigley Spearman Chewing Gum. Once you do, I know that you'll have to agree with me that it's the most refreshing thing in all the world for you to enjoy. So you reach for Wrigley Spearman whenever you feel just a little bit tense or keyed up. See what tremendous excitement you can have when you refresh yourself with Wrigley Spearman Chewing Gum. I know that you'll like it. Everyone does. Well, now, sitting down in the airplane in St. Louis, Missouri, waiting to talk to you as a housewife, is a housewife, Mrs. Jack Webb. Dorothy? Yes. I suppose your husband, not unlike every other husband, has a lot of bad habits. What would you say is uh, famous Mr. Jack Webb's worst habit? Well, his worst, I think, is working too hard. You never get a chance to see him, I suppose. Well, I've, uh, I have a remedy for that. I go to the studio where he is, so <laughs> that way we get to see each other now and then. That's a good idea. Uh, Dorothy, I know that you maintain your home out in California. What sort of a place is it? Ranch house or old Gothic or whatever you gals talk about? No, it's sort of a... Uh, Modern ranch. Mm -hmm. It's not very big. Just enough for two people. Yes. Is your husband there right now? Yes, he is. All right, if you'll slip the earphones on, I'd like to say thanks and goodbye to him, and thank you, Dorothy. It's nice talking to you. Thank you. Hi, Howard. All right, Jack, our time is all up. I want to take the opportunity of thanking you, wishing you a bon voyage and a wonderful trip, and good luck on Pete Kelly's Blues. Thank you, and thank you for all your kindness, Howard. All right, we'll see you in a very few weeks. My best to all of you there in Chicago. Thank you very much, Jack. This is Howard Miller from Chicago. We're a little bit late, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, and you have a wonderful time today. You've just heard the Howard Miller Show with music on records brought to you from Chicago by Wrigley's Pyramid Gum. This is the CBS Radio Network. <laughs>